This is the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. Building your brand is not around your product, so your team and your players, but you build your brand around truly this experience and this community. And we aren't in the baseball business. We are in the entertainment business, the experience business, and most importantly, the people business. Welcome into this episode of the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Today on the pod, we're going to look at the growing popularity of Formula One, both in the United States and all around the world. And the first conversation on the show is going to be with Antoine Mignon. He's the head of partnerships for Renault Sport Racing. And we're going to talk about how partnerships are really driving the sport forward in ways that maybe we haven't seen in the past. There's a lot of uh, creativity and thought going into how the sport can interact with brands in a symbiotic way all around the world. And it's not just brands, also other sports leagues, uh, esports, things like that. So it's going to be a fascinating conversation you're going to want to hear if you're at all interested in Formula One or just sports in general. Our second segment is a market scale roundtable of people here in the company that are all Formula One fans, and I pose the question to them whether or not Lewis Hamilton's dominance is good for the growth of the sport. And you can take that a step further and really ask the question, are dynasties good for sports in general? Like, is it good for the NFL that the Patriots are in the Super Bowl every year? Well, we'll tackle that question coming up later on in the show. But for now, let's dive into that interview that I did with Antoine Mignon coming up next year on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Really excited to welcome Antoine Magnon, the head of partnerships at Renault Sport Racing. Antoine, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, you're welcome, Taylor. It's my pleasure to be with you. Well, it's really exciting to have a chance to talk to you because um, you work in Formula One and uh, the Formula One industry and the sport is just uh, thriving and really growing around the globe. We've seen the recent Netflix documentary on it. So, um, Antoine, I'm curious just from your perspective how you've really seen the sport uh, grow across the globe, including uh, even in the United States. Well, uh, it, it's interesting to see uh, Formula One is uh, actually growing and even TV audience are, are growing, you know, compared to some uh, other sport property. Uh, we, we are proud to, uh, you know, to, to get a new ownership at, uh, at Formula One. Uh, as you may know, the, uh, the, the franchise or the sport property itself, uh, you know, has been acquired by uh, Liberty Media a few, few years ago. And uh, they've made a, a tremendous job to, uh, you know, uh, talk to the new generation and make sure that, uh, you know, the TV audience are, are still growing. So now we've, we've got a sport property, uh, which is talking to, you know, 1.8 billion people a year in a cumulative audience, uh, which is massive. It's actually, you know, the biggest annual sport uh, that you can watch uh, on, on TV. And, and that's true that the uh, U.S. audience is uh, is growing, which is fantastic uh, because uh, you know we've got the ability to uh, just showcase uh, what what we are developing uh, here in, uh, in in France and uh, for most of the team, you know, in uh, in Europe. Absolutely, and uh, so it, it's really exciting to to watch from this side of things and and to see the United States become a bigger part in that. And really, one of the big things that, that you're doing as head of partnerships is obtaining and maintaining these partnerships with brands that are global brands. So, how competitive is that when you're talking about brands that are trying to be recognized on the on the global stage? 
Uh, well, you know, we are competing uh, actually against, uh, you know, uh, a lot of different properties. In a way, we are competing against, uh, you know, Netflix or, you know, this kind of, you know, entertainment company because uh, we know that, uh, you know, the uh, brain time of, of uh, all the people are, are limited. So they need to, uh, you know, they need to focus on, on the sport they like, on the entertainment they like. And uh, to convince a brand to, uh, you know, to go global uh, in Formula One, it's... It's quite, uh, you know, a, a long process. Uh, we are talking about, you know, uh, 18 months uh, in average uh, negotiation to, 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 to get a deal done and, and making sure that uh, we can meet uh, their objectives, their challenges from a marketing point of view. And so that the, uh, the brand association becomes, uh, you know, natural. Yeah, you know, I, I talked to Max Metrell not that long ago, uh, another another one oh, of yeah. your countrymen who, who works there in Insights uh, for Formula One, and we talked a lot about... Yeah, he's based in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And I'm still based in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you don't bump into each other uh, too, too often unless you're there at one of the uh, the Grand Prix, but... Uh, but we talked about <laughs> we, we we talk about the uh, the engagement with uh, with Formula One and just uh, the mm-hmm. different ways that they've worked on uh, increasing engagement. How have you seen that increased engagement and the increasing availability of Formula One uh, in media really uh, increase the value for uh, partners that you work with on a regular basis? Yeah, actually, you know, uh, f- for a long time, uh, the sport uh, has been run by. Um, you know, uh, 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 old, uh, you know, uh, Englishman that I, I really like, by the way, uh, was, you know, Bernie Eccleston, and, and he used to run the sport in a, in a different way. Uh, you know, at the time, you know, it was all about TV and, uh, and nothing about uh, social media. And, and now, you know, it's time for, you know, some uh, new social media networks to, uh, you know, to come in. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, TikTok, for instance, uh, you know, uh, raising in, in China or obviously, you know, Insta and, and, and this other medium. So Formula One had to change its way to, to talk to the fans and, and to grow the fan base. And uh, I think that Formula One uh, as a sport property did a great job uh, to do that, to, to open that to, to the millennials, uh, making sure that the OTT uh, offer was there. Uh, so making sure that you can watch a Formula One race uh, from your mobile, etc. And, and, and we as a team, uh, so, you know, his Renault F1 team did, did actually the same and, and leverage that to uh, make sure that we could provide, uh, some, uh, new content, shorter content, actually, uh, to, to the fans and, and to the brands that are partnering with us. Because nowadays, you know, um, obviously TV audience is one of the KPI. But, uh, you know, uh, engagement rate uh, with your fan is uh, one, one another and, uh, and sometimes, you know, even more uh, at- attracting for, for, for these brands. So, yes, we need to, to manage everything and make sure that we can create content for every kind of, uh, of medium and not only the race uh, of, you know, uh, two drivers uh, driving a Formula One car. Right. Absolutely. Now, what kind of content have you seen really generate the most interest amongst uh, your fan base and, and generate the most value for your brands? It's it's actually usually what's uh, you know behind the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, nobody knows that uh, you know behind uh, two Formula One car and and two uh, you know drivers, uh, you know even though there are some uh, you know racing uh, stars uh, etc. 
that nobody knows that uh, behind the scene uh, there are you know, 1,200 people uh, working in you know, two different factories in our case, uh, one based in Paris, uh, you know, taking care of the engine, and one other in, in the UK taking care of the chassis. But 1,200 people working on it just for the benefit of these two drivers. And actually, uh, when we, we did start to you know open the doors of uh, our factories, of meeting with you know the, the, the people that were working in that factories, the way that the drivers uh, were training uh, to make sure that they are ready before a race, uh, training at the simulator, training you know with the engineers to, to to understand the car, to make sure that the setup is right, etc. Uh, as soon as we opened that doors. Uh, we had a fantastic, you know, engagement, uh, not only by the, uh, I, I would call them like, you know, hardcore fans, uh, who are looking at, you know, all the data and everything, but also for, from everybody, you know, just looking at the drivers as, you know, a human being and, uh, and, and being touched by, uh, you know, all the people, uh, working with dedication and passion, uh, for, for, for these two guys. So, yeah, that was, uh, probably the most successful, uh, you know, media content that's, that's we, uh, we generated. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people love those behind the scenes looks at things just because it kind of opens up the world of the sport, um, and, and gives them a, a new vantage point. If, if you've only watched the race, then you don't know all of the time and the work and the precision and all of the different aspects that go into getting cars on the track and getting drivers prepared. And so I think people will really, uh, really resonate with that content. And as you mentioned, just to see that the drivers are human beings too, uh, I think just opens up a whole new world of content that maybe hadn't been there before. Yeah, plus, you know, for, for, for the partners now, you know, not uh, any partners are just looking for, you know, strict TV exposure and, you know, putting a sticker on the car on, you know, on, on a football jersey or, mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever. They want to tell, you know, a comprehensive story, an end-to-end story. And uh, actually, if you look at, you know, all of our partners are all, in a way, contributing to the performance of the team. Uh, even though it's directly at the factory because they are providing some, uh, you know, good technology or good materials or good training facilities, um, they are contributing to the performance of the car, uh, on track. And, uh, I think that, you know, the, I would say old days of, uh, you know, sponsorship being just, you know, a way to, to gain TV exposure is, is over. Uh, you need to tell something genuine. Uh, otherwise, you know, nobody, uh, nobody believe in, in what you have to say. So, uh, all of our partners are, are contributing to, to, to that and to the performance of the car at the end and to the performance of the drivers. And that's what's fantastic with Formula One. It's, it's not just, you know, 21 races around the world. It's, uh, it's 365 days uh, a year where, you know, people are, are working with dedication at, at the factory. And, and you could find easily some way to contribute to that performance. And, and that's what the partner like in, in our team. Absolutely. I, I want to touch on one specific partner that I found really interesting. And I noticed that one of uh, the partners of Renault Sport Racing is Infinity, which is interesting because it's another car manufacturer. So how does a, how does a partnership like that work between the two of you? Uh, and what do they bring to the table that really helps the race team? 
Yeah, first of all, we've got a very good, uh, you know, legal department making sure that you know all the exclusivity <laughs> are well are well worded in in the agreement. But uh, no, I mean joke, joke apart. Um, you know, in, Infinity spent few years um, partnering with Red Bull Racing as a, as a title partner, actually. So you know, it's, it's kind of you know highest level of partnership that you could have because you are part of the name of the team, and. Um, it, it brings them a lot, lot of exposure. You know, everyone knew about uh, Infinity, and uh, and and the next question was, but what Infinity is doing? Is that a telco provider, or is that uh, something in in IT, or what? What are you doing exactly? Mm-hmm. And and they felt that after a few years of raising the exposure uh, so much, they they needed to um, to actually tell uh, a story and a genuine story, and and make sure that. Uh, they are perceived uh, not only as a sponsor but a, as a genuine partner, so contributing to, to the performance of the team. So that's why they decided to uh, to go with us and to develop, for instance, all the hybrid uh, part of the uh, of the powertrain because uh, you know Formula One car is actually a double hybrid uh, car. Mm-hmm. It's actually the most efficient car on earth in terms of you know uh, uh, power power to um, you know uh, fuel. Uh, ratio mm-hmm. and and infinity is doing uh, everything related to uh, ERS so energy recovering system so making sure that you know the, the, the software the way to use the batteries electric motors etc are, are, are fine-tuned in, in a proper way so basically they are sending us some um, some engineers they are getting from us some uh, you know some uh, know-how some skills that they are able now to uh, implement into some um, pretty exciting uh, road cars uh, that has been, you know, uh, revealed uh, a few few months ago, uh, which is called the uh, Black S, the Q60 Black S uh, project. And actually, this project will uh, will, will go live uh, soon. So you'll be able to really feel uh, the, the F1 uh, technology uh, in a road car, which is which is very very exciting. That is really exciting. Now, how I'm guessing that those those people from the Infinity team are basically just integrated members then of the Renault Sport Racing team as well. So, um, is that how you would judge success? Just whether or not they're contributing something and they feel like something is being contributed to their car offerings as well. And then, yeah, if everybody's happy, then then the partnership is working. Yes, I mean it's not only that uh, you know everybody is happy and uh, and obviously uh, it's it's always a good sign you know uh, to have some some people embedded uh, you know in, into the core team and making sure that uh, you know the two are, are working together, but uh, but it's also delivering in terms of you know engagement and and everything around that you know they just launched uh, an academy for instance to scout some you know new talents and and providing them with some uh, internship. And uh, I would say uh, at uh, more than ninety percent job after the internship. So uh, now it's 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 growing, and you know a good KPI at a successful partnership is to to see the way they are using the assets that the sport property is providing. And uh, if the partner is using you know hundred percent of the assets and is actually proposing uh, to 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 add some more or to extend. Uh, the core partnership to some uh, other area uh, that they didn't see before. It's it's the best way to, uh, to to say that you know it's a successful partnership. So now it's it's going actually much beyond the uh, initial uh, 
agreement that, that, that we had a few years ago. I would definitely call that successful then in that case. Uh, and sure. y- you know, I was, I was reading that in 2018, uh, you guys had a, had a partnership with La Liga, the, the, the football league in mm-hmm. Spain. Um, and, yep. and I'm curious about that. Just how did that partnership work? But then also, do you see a future where more sporting leagues uh, and, and more um, other sports entities are going to be interested in partnering together uh, for mutual benefit uh, with Formula One? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it was a very interesting partnership and it was the very first time that actually you know, uh, a league itself were partnering with, uh, with a Formula One team. Actually, La Liga had, uh, you know, two, few, few, few issues, but uh, the main one was to, to, to go overseas and outside of, uh, of Spain mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to make sure that they can talk to the right people in Asia, in, in the US. And actually, you know, in the US, you have this experience with La Liga, you know, trying to, uh, you know, organize some, some, uh, soccer match, uh, here in the US. Yeah. It's yeah. actually to, to make sure that they are becoming, you know, a global property, making sure that they can, you know, sell the TV rights, uh, at, at the right price. And that's what the, the Premiership uh, in the UK uh, did manage uh, successfully in, in the past. And that was the point of La Liga, is to be associated with uh, a global property, uh, which is not only talking uh, you know, to the Spanish people, but uh, talking to China, talking to you know, Singapore, talking to Japan, and making sure that, uh, that the brand is spread uh, all over the world. And that's what this kind of sport property is looking when partnering with Formula One is clearly to go global because, um, yeah, because Formula One is, is truly and genuinely a, a global sport, right. uh, you know, from March to um, December uh, this season and, and going across uh, 21 countries. So can you foresee a day where, say, an NFL team in the United States partners with Renault Sport Racing? Like, I, I live in Dallas, so the Dallas Cowboys are, a, you know, a big team uh, yeah. all around the world, and they like to sure. in- increase their global branding. So could you see a for day? Uh, can you foresee a day where the Cowboys, you know, for instance, for example, you know, partner with Renault Sport Racing or something like that, and it's it's beneficial for both both teams? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, uh, we as, uh, you know, sport properties and, and sports clubs, uh, you know, are competing against, you know, other entitlement uh, platforms. So if my fans uh, can talk to uh, your fans, there is a benefit to me. If, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboy fans can, you know, uh, talk to uh, the Formula One and the Rene team, Formula One fans, there is a benefit. And I, I love this idea of, you know, cross-marketing and, and, you know, putting some, you know, unexpected people uh, in an expected place. You know, my, my goal is to put the Formula One car and to bring the Formula One car out of the racetrack uh, in some, you know, unexpected place. And, and, and that should be the same for, for the Dallas Cowboy. So, um, I'm, I'm sure it will happen actually. Yeah. That, that'll be really exciting to see actually. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Now, a- another area that I've noticed, um, where Renault Sport Racing has kind of, uh, launched in a new direction is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but do you have a, a Rocket League, uh, esports team? And <laughs> yes. Yeah. And how does, how yeah. does that open up a new world of, of maybe fans and that sort of thing? 
Yeah, no, it's it, it's actually you know uh, everything about uh, about what I was just uh, you know touching point on is um, making sure that you you grow the fan base and uh, and and you enter into some you know out of your comfort zone. Uh, let's say uh, we had this issue in Formula One with you know um, talking to uh, to a younger audience. Um, we believe that actually esports uh, was you know the best platform to to talk to um, to, to this audience. But we had to find a, a genuine collaboration and partnership. So what could we bring to an esports team? What uh, could they bring to to us? And actually, we did create this uh, you know kind of joint venture with uh, with Vitality, uh, which is you know a European based um, esports team. Uh, which were not doing uh, anything about, you know, Formula One, esports, or Rocket League, or anything. You know, they were not much more focused on, like, you know, the usual suspects, mm-hmm. uh, League of Legends, and uh, you know, now Fortnite and, and this sure, kind of stuff. Sure. And and we decided together to to create this, and um, because Rocket League was, you know, just playing football with a car, so uh, <laughs> we, we 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 thought that it was it was fun. But more than that, actually, what we provided to to them and and to the players was some um, professional infrastructure for them to train. So they are basically, you know, uh, training with the same kind of facilities and the Formula One drivers are, are training, uh, making sure that they can you know, train on the simulator with our HPC, so Human Performance Center, based in in the UK, with some professional physios. Uh, with uh, you know all the work that uh, a Formula One driver is doing pre-season uh, to to make sure that you know they are performing when they are live on on, on Twitch or on on some uh, competition around the mm-hmm. world, and uh, that's what we are bringing to to the team, and and they are bringing actually the same. Uh, so you know the level now of uh, of skills uh, of of these young guys. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know the reflex or uh, the way they are training on the simulator, etc., is is somehow useful for for us and for the F1 driver as well. So again, we we try to to find through through that uh, joint venture what what could be genuine to the benefit of both parties, and and we just make it happen. That's really interesting that you talk about the the overlap in skills almost between somebody that's uh, performing well in esports and an F1 driver. Do you see just in the the uh, reflexes like you mentioned and that sort of thing that there is a little bit of overlap uh, in what makes a good driver and what makes a good esports performer? Yes, no, clearly, and uh, you know we've seen that with uh, with the younger uh, F1 drivers that are actually uh, playing all the time on on Formula One, but on, you know on PlayStation while they are at the hotel and etc. It's either to learn the track uh, more because obviously you know when you are using the F1 simulator, it's like you know multi-million uh, machine. Uh, with like 10 engineers behind you, extra to look at, uh, at all the big data and, and, and everything. But, um, you can even play, you know, at home, uh, on, on your PlayStation. And actually, um, you can train the reflex. Uh, we are using, you know, a tool which is called Batak for the drivers, you know, to look at the spotlight and touch the spotlight and, and make it, uh, you know, as quick as possible. And, uh, and actually we can see some overlap and similarities, uh, and at the end, some gain in performance by training with, you know, uh, highly professional staff 
for for the e-sporter and and for the F1 driver. And that's true that uh, you know some of the esports players are are really competitive, and now you need to you know introduce some elements of you know physical resistance of uh, of you know training of everything. But uh, in terms of reflex, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a great platform to train actually esports. Now, have you played Rocket League at all? Are you any good? Because I've tried uh, and I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible as well. So, uh, but I, I'm, I'm even terrible in uh, F1 uh, simulator. So, you know, I'm, I'm just good at, uh, at, at doing business. That's it. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of the performance on the track, Renault has improved in the standings each of the last three years as a team. So, yeah. um, how does winning really help uh, improve your visibility and make it easier to find and maintain those, those partnerships like what you do on a regular basis? Well, you know, uh, sponsorship is is all about performance. Uh, it's it's all about the results because when you are when you are a company and you want to spend uh, you know millions in your media budget, uh, you could you know do a TV ad and uh, you, you make sure that you know the audience after this specific show uh, will be I don't know ten million and uh, and you'll pay for for, for that audience. Um, in Formula One and like in, uh, in each and every, uh, sport property, um, you're, you're betting in a way on the performance of the, of your team. So if you are, uh, I would say, uh, overpassing, uh, and if you get some outstanding results, uh, your equivalent media value will be much more than what you initially planned. If, you are at the back of the grid in Formula One. Obviously, you will uh, under deliver in terms of uh, equivalent media value. So uh, yes, it has uh, an important role. And 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 what we can see in Formula One is that usually uh, you 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 got a return investment in, in the range of five to to ten times what you initially thought in in terms of uh, media spend. Uh, which is great. Again, if you are performing and if you continue to perform, and and that's why you know we we decided to uh, uh, to, to 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 get uh, Daniel Ricardo to 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 drive for us uh, at Renault F1 team uh, because uh, he's uh, you know uh, like Nico Hülkenberg, uh, the, the other driver. There are two world class drivers that can you know uh, bring Renault to 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 another step. And ultimately, uh, win the world championship, which is uh, clearly our uh, goal uh, since the very beginning when we re-entered Formula One in 2016. Yeah, so it's been a, a really quick rise for you guys, and and you've continued to get better every season. So eventually, the goal has to be to continue to improve and and to eventually challenge for for one of those uh, championship spots, right? Yeah, actually, our our plan, our commitment, you know, uh, to 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 the group is to be a world champion contender by uh, by 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in Formula One, in in maybe more than even you know any other sports, uh, it's uh, as I told you, we've got 1,200 people behind. So at the very first year of um, of our comeback, we invested a lot into uh, into the building first to make sure that uh, we had you know state of the art facilities. Then you invest into the people uh, in terms of number, in terms of quality of the people. Then you invest in the drivers, etc. So you really have to to, to get you know a staged uh, or step by step approach, sure. and and not to believe that you know you'll be world champion uh, next year, but uh, but to build it, to have some time for the organization to digest it. 
and making sure that uh, you can continue your 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 growth and and that's what we are we are actually doing so yeah it's it's good and it's also a bit my my pride to to see that you know what uh, I've built a few years ago on a, on a PowerPoint slides, uh, we, we, we mm -hmm. made it real actually a few, few, few years after. So uh, no, it's, uh, it's a fantastic and, uh, and an exciting project. Yeah, so you built the, the infrastructure and then added the talent on top of it. And so now it's, uh, what's, what's left to do? Is it just a combining and, <laughs> uh, and, and the continued growth of those things as it, as it grows together as a team, as a group? Yeah, there, there is a, a small amount of, uh, you know, uh, additional growth, but not too much. We are, you know, about where we, we wanted to be, uh, you know, three, three years ago. Now it's, uh, as you said, uh, it's to put everything together. And that's really, you know, the, the, the key in Formula One, in, like, you know, every sport, like, you know, Ferrari, uh, you know, has not been a world champion for now more than 10 years and are still, you know, spending hundreds of millions every year to, uh, to, to, to make sure that they can they can be the one. So um, at some point in time, you know, uh, that's the most difficult part, you know, uh, ahead of us, uh, beating, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the big fish. Um, so we just need to put everything together. We know how it takes uh, to be world champion. And, and, you know, we've been world champion in the past. Um, but that's true that, you know, at this level, it's like, you know, in, in soccer, winning the Champions League. It's like, you know, winning the Super Bowl. Uh, at some point, you need yeah, bit of luck, mm -hmm. but making sure that uh, you put every single details together. Yeah, speaking of Champions League, uh, PSG hasn't had too much luck over the last couple of years, even though they spent a lot of money, <laughs> right? So like that, yeah, that's an exactly. example. Yeah. Exactly. So th there is no uh, you know no direct ratio about you know uh, the amount you spend and and your success. Uh, you need to make sure that you know every team member is uh, you know is well in what he's doing is is overperforming, and again, uh, devil is in the detail, and uh, sure. you need to make sure that uh, you, you put everything together at at the right time. And that's that's what we are trying to do. Absolutely. Now, do do you travel with the team, and if so, what's what's your favorite place to visit around the world that the uh, that Formula One visits? Ah, uh, well, uh, there are quite a, <laughs> a nice places that we are visiting. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm not doing uh, all the races, so not the 21, uh, but yeah, something between uh, 12 and, and, and 15 races a, a, a year. It all depends on, on the business meeting that uh, I may have uh, uh, at, at that Grand Prix. But as you know, you know, a Grand Prix is, uh, is a three days event, so starting on Friday, and ending with a race on, on Sunday. I would say that um, Monaco is, is, is a very, uh, you know, very specific track, uh, very specific atmosphere, uh, a lot of party uh, overnight, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and lots of uh, yacht and, and, and celebrities uh, getting there. So it's a nice atmosphere. But um, I love actually the um, the U.S. Grand Prix uh, taking mm -hmm. place, uh, you know, in uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, it's a fantastic track. Uh, always a lot of action. 
uh, Austin is really a fantastic city. I love this city. And, and I love the uh, kind of slogan that they've got, you know, when you're landing at the airport, you know, keep it weird. Um, <laughs> That's good branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, I can remember it. And, and then, uh, yeah, I've got, so on top of uh, Monaco and Austin, I've got two others that are really quite good, uh, Canada and, and Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know it's a city center. I know uh, again all the cities uh, is partying around the Grand Prix and really nice atmosphere uh, with our friend from Canada and, and a uh, lot of and French there also. Yeah, you, exactly. You <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and maybe the last one is uh, is Singapore uh, mm -hmm. because of the um, it's a night race. So you are actually you know for um, to make sure that we broadcast the, the race at the kind of you know. Uh, uh, European friendly time. Uh, we are racing at night, uh, so around you know 10 p.m. to, to midnight actually. So uh, it's a very specific atmosphere. You know, really hot, uh, very humid, uh, and uh, and racing at night is uh, is fantastic and is a big big challenge for all the drivers. You know, they are losing like three three kilograms of, of water during the race oh. uh, it's uh, yeah it's an exhausting race but but really nice city and, and atmosphere that's fantastic well best of luck this season to Renault Sport Racing in uh, Formula 1 and thank you so much Antoine Magnon for joining me here and talking a little bit more about Formula 1 and the partnerships that it keeps and how it's going to continue to build and uh, best of luck moving forward and uh, thanks for the time today Antoine thank you thank you Taylor. Thanks again to Antoine for joining the show. I really appreciated his insight, and I really enjoyed just getting to have that conversation with him about the growth of the sport and what they're doing at Renault Sport Racing to really try to push themselves to the next level. I loved learning about some of those partnerships that they've had, and I'm curious to see what they continue to do moving forward as the sport continues to grow and as it becomes more visible like with the Netflix documentary series and things like that. It's been really, really exciting to see. So our second segment is going to be a conversation that we had here in the office. It's a roundtable with uh, several of the guys here at MarketScale. And we're going to dive in and ask the question, is Lewis Hamilton's dominance good for the growth of Formula One? So we'll dive in, ask that question. You'll hear what the guys have to say coming up next here on the MarketScale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. All right, joining me now in the studio is Tim Maitland, Vice President of Business Development here at MarketScale. Tim, thanks for joining me, man. It's an honor. We've done this a couple of times now. You're a pro. We have. We have. Different studio this time. Yeah. Very, have the a little bit more legroom in here. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I yeah. like it. A little room to spar. We also have Logan King, digital marketing strategist here at MarketScale. Logan, first time on a podcast, man. Yeah. First timer, but uh, pretty excited. I'm happy to uh, to be here for this like momentous occasion, like when you're a, uh, I don't know, famous podcaster in the future. It's like I was there for the first one. Likewise. Well, I'm very excited. <laughs> and then Brandon Fluger, Business Development Manager. Flugie, how are you doing, man? Doing well. Glad to be back. New yeah. topic. Excited. So it's always fun to have uh, a bunch of people in the studio and kind of get to dive into a topic and, and have some fun. So today we are talking about Formula One, and we're going to talk a little bit about dynasties as well, but that's going to come a little bit later. So the reason that all three of you are here for this podcast is that you're all Formula One fans. So Tim, let's just start with you. When did you first become a fan of Formula One? I'm actually a new fan. 
I've been a car fan my whole life. I grew up enjoying cars with my dad. It's the way that we bonded. And uh, we go to the Barrett-Jackson car auction every year and other car auctions. And then uh, he's always wanted to introduce me to Formula One. He grew up uh, racing cars up in Canada in a a different racing league professionally. And uh, last year, uh, you know, he got us some tickets. We went down to the Grand Prix in Austin. And it was really there where I saw that it wasn't just, you know, race car driving. There are stories within stories. There's a certain level of of elegance to the sport. And uh, I was just hooked just seeing these cars whipping by and and knowing all of kind of the the inner sports drama that takes place in that, you know, hour on the track. Yeah. And Fluke, I get the sense that you're kind of, you've been a fan for a little bit longer maybe than, than Tim, or you have more of a history with the sport. Is that right? Yeah, with Formula One uh, in particular, but um, like Tim, I grew up with my father racing as well in the SCCA, um, and so we were always going to road tracks, and I actually remember meeting Bobby Rahal back in the day at a, at a track. Um, I think it was the national runoffs of SCCA, and he was there, and uh, we got to meet him. He was on his bike and just kind of blossomed from there. My dad always enjoyed the technical side of road racing over something more of an oval circuit like what Indy does and uh, the NASCAR circuit does, but yeah, Formula One's been in my been in my family for a while since uh, my early days. So yeah, I'm glad we can watch a lot more of it on TV and with social media now, we're getting a lot more inside look into how the sports evolved and where it's going. Yeah, you can hear a little bit more of that in our Market Scale podcast interview with Max Metral, the insights manager for Formula One, who joined me and we had a conversation just about how Formula One is kind of modernized for a new generation of fans that really wants analytics and data right there at their fingertips. It's a pretty exciting uh, deal. Now, Logan, I know you're a big car guy. Is, is that kind of your entry into Formula One as well, that you're a huge fan of cars? You get to see the best cars in the world get to race on a regular basis? Yeah, exactly. So I don't necessarily have a similar story sharing the passion with my dad as as Tim and Brandon do, but uh, kind of a passion that I took up as a young kid as well, where I was, you know, in, always invested in the racing games, uh, you know, need for speed as a young kid and sort of just like fantasizing about fast cars. It was always something that I really enjoyed uh, entertaining the idea of as a kid. And as I've gotten older, you know, it's just been sort of a passion of mine, not only going to cars and coffee events and the local DFW Metroplex and and certain things like that. But yeah, it's always been a passion of mine since I was a young kid. But um, specifically with F1, what got me interested was the uh, new Netflix special that they put on uh, over the last couple months. So I kind of I watched the first episode and then from there I, w- I was hooked. And so I've actually uh, purchased tickets to the uh, the race in Austin later this year at Circuit of the Americas and right. uh, look forward to going to my first race. We're going to have a market scale contingent there. Are you going back, Tim? Oh, I'm going back. Turn 12. That's where the action is. <laughs> All right. Fluga, you have plans to go down there and get uh, down there for yeah, it? Yeah, I've been with my dad several times, so maybe I'll go with the crew this time. It sounds like a lot of fun. Market scale tailgate. I'm into that. You introduce food into the equation and I'm there. Like, Perfect. Franklin's Barbecue. Austin's <laughs> finest. You can go wait in line. We'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us will just hang out. Um, but it's interesting. You each have kind of your own origin story of how you've gotten into the sport. And it's all been somewhat recent uh, as far as Formula One goes. You've been interested in cars for your whole lives or you know, have some racing in your DNA and in your blood. But the Formula One is kind of a recent thing. And so uh, part of me kind of wonders um, just 
what it's like to be a new sport of a fan because all the fan, all the sports that I'm a fan of, I can remember or I can't ever remember not being a fan, right? So I'm what, the same what's it, way. What's it like, kind of, Tim? Since you are the same way, what what is it like to kind of be a fan of a sport that maybe you didn't already have a relationship with? So you kind of come in from the outside and you're learning things as you go. It's really refreshing. You know, when you watch tennis, hockey, baseball, soccer, golf, you know, you know all the terminology, you know all of the players. And when you get, uh, you know, a new sports world, uh, you know, in your repertoire, uh, it really allows you to enjoy kind of the innocence of the sport again. You know, I was lucky enough to play collegiate and professional baseball. And when you play at that level, Brandon, you, you did the same, you lose kind of the, you know, what you were attracted to in the sport because you only see the business side. So being new into Formula One, obviously I know it's a big business and, you know, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars running through that sport. But being a new fan, I get to see it for what I see as the exciting things like the the engines, the crashes, the stories of the drivers. And I don't have to think about all of the business that goes on about, you know, behind the scenes like I know happens in the sports that I'm familiar with. That's a good point. What about you, Logan? Just kind of, I know you're a big basketball fan, fan of a lot of sports. You and I talk about them on a regular basis. What's it like, like introducing yourself into a new sport and kind of immersing yourself and learning different things as you go? What do you do? How do you become a new fan of a sport? That's a great question. I think kind of picking back off of Tim, but, you know, really, I, it may be easier than it seems as, you know, cars and driving has been one of my ultimate passions since I was a young kid. So it, it makes it a little bit easier when it's sort of involved with something that I actually, you know, truly care about. And, you know, like you mentioned, basketball and golf are my two other favorite sports. And those are things that I grew up playing as a kid. So I think it was kind of easy as I was able to relate to those players and teams because I was involved in it as a kid. But, um, you know, as I've matured and gotten older, uh, I think the idea of be becoming a Formula One fan is, is kind of uh, follows a similar sort of mindset in that I'm able to apply a passion and something that I'm really interested in into uh, a new sport. So I think it's kind of just channeling something that I, I care about into something that, you know, is is, you know, something that I find of interest in Formula One's kind of. Uh, you know, fits that bill. Yeah, for sure. And Fluge, you you come from the world of, as Tim mentioned, you played team sports and you played soccer in college and and still play it even now. And so, uh, what's it like, you know, rooting for and cheering for um, uh, certain people? I, I guess individuals in a sport like uh, Formula One. Do you cheer for individuals or do you cheer for like a certain car manufacturer or a team or something like that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm a big Lewis Hamilton fan now kind of always have been, but I, I remember watching my earliest memories were watching Michael Schumacher in a Ferrari oh, yeah. go around. And that's all I knew was Michael Schumacher was the standard. He's winning every year. Um, and then a, the young kid, Lewis Hamilton, comes up, a Brit who we haven't had much of in the past. And um, yeah, just following him, it was a new driver. Uh, Schumacher kind of retired. So it was to me, it was kind of okay. Ferrari's still going strong, but there's this young, exciting kid who's driving in a McLaren, and there's a lot of new competition there. So I think Logan might have an interesting uh, point of view here with a young driver, a new team, Tim as well. Um, kind of seeing how I've seen Lewis Hamilton grow up and, and, and drive and, and win, and kind of where we are in the sport now. Someone who maybe not hasn't watched the rate that watched the racing in the past couple of years, followed the storylines, seeing new drivers come in. Yeah, so Lewis Hamilton drives for Mercedes now, is that right? Yeah. And Logan, you're sitting here wearing a Red Bull's hat, Red Bull racing hat. So is that the team that you cheer for? Did something draw you to Red Bull initially? 
Yeah, so actually uh, watching the, the Netflix special, I watched it, I, I binged it actually over like a weekend and, and completed the full series. And for some reason, I gravitated towards Verstappen. Uh, he's a young, uh, up-and-coming driver for uh, Aston Martin Red Bull Racing. Is this like a hipster pick? Like, oh, I'm not going to choose, you know, the Lewis Hamilton who's won four of the last five. I'm going to go off the beaten path here. I feel like I, I, in just other areas of life, I felt like I'm kind of a, a non-conformer. All right. So yeah. uh, to answer your question, maybe, uh, hard to tell, but uh, for some reason, yeah, just his personality, his character and charisma, there was something about him that I really liked. And so um, kind of just the team that I gravitated towards immediately. And he's edgy too. He's He's so aggressive out there. I mean, I, I agree with Logan. It's hard not to root for the kid. Yeah, yeah. The flying, you- the flying Dutchman. Do you have someone that you cheer for, Tim, in the sport, or are you just in general just like to watch the races unfold? No, I, I definitely have a few that I root for. Um, you know, I, I was uh, I got to see the Ferrari uh, Racing Museum when I was in Italy recently, so I got to see all of Schumacher's winning cars up close, and that was really cool. So I see Ferrari as essentially kind of the New York Yankees of the sport. You know, the juggernaut with the the legendary or the, I guess the legacy behind the brand. Um, I grew up a, a big Mercedes fan. Um, you know, my dad had a Mercedes and, um, so I've kind of always gravitated towards them. I love German engineering and the preciseness of it. So I root for Lewis Hamilton because he's on Mercedes, but I have to agree with Logan. My favorite driver is Verstappen. That's pretty cool. Um, I didn't, I did not expect to get like a, an off the wall answer. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess so. One of the big questions I have about introducing yourself into Formula One and kind of becoming a new fan is the is this dominance of Lewis Hamilton, right? And uh, Flugi mentioned it a little bit. He's this Brit that kind of came up and he was young. I think he won in 2008 was his first uh, championship that he won. But then now he's won four of the last five and kind of established himself as this dominant figure in the sport. And so my question that I just want to throw out there to you guys and and hear what you think about it is. Is it good for the sport necessarily? Is it good for new fans and, and bringing in new fans to have someone that is this dominant in a sport like Formula One that's trying to grow its fan base and reach out to new fans? Is it better to have that dominant figure or is it better to have a little bit more parity, have a different winner every year and introduce you to different people? So, uh, Tim, start off with you. I, I know you're a big Patriots fan and <laughs> Dynasty Tim over here, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm legitimately that's curious. My name. I'm legitimately curious just about your thoughts. Like, do you think it's good for the sport long term to have a dominant figure like a like a Lewis Hamilton has won four of the last five championships? I think it's great. I think it's really, really good for the sport. Uh, you know, you look at Lewis Hamilton, right? He's actually uh, one of the highest paid athletes in the world. And here we are in America. Not many people know that or, or really know who he is. That's changed, though, recently, um, you know, with him dating American uh, pop stars. Uh, he was dating Nicki Minaj recently and, uh, you know, having that tie into America and, and um, you know, everything associated with the, the music culture. I think that helps the sport. Uh, at the race in Austin last year, he had uh, Millie Bobby Brown and Matthew McConaughey sitting in his pit. And any time that you see big celebrities like that starting to gravitate towards a driver and posting pictures with them and sharing it out, obviously that's the definition of you know social media and, and social presence. So I think Lewis Hamilton dominating is, is really the best thing that could happen for the sport in America. Don't know if that's the same case um, you know, overseas in Europe. 
Flugi, you're obviously a Lewis Hamilton fan, so surely you want him to continue winning and that sort of thing. But if you could remove yourself from the fan seat and put yourself in the uh, the position of maybe a new F1 fan or something like that, or just somebody who is part of the governing body of Formula One, let's say, would you want a Lewis Hamilton winning year in and year out, or would you want uh, one of these other guys to come along and uh, and maybe put forth a little bit more of a challenge and have some have uh, have some variance as far as winners go? Oh, well, if I were to put myself in the shoes of uh, someone on the governing body for F1, uh, I think they were just bought by an American company. So they're trying to make it a little bit more mainstream in America. Um, they have all the TV rights here now. So it's interesting to see a lot of the race times around the world have adjusted to favor the TV uh, scheduling and markets here in the United States. So it's interesting to see it from that aspect. Uh, I think the dynasty, like Tim said, having a rock star race driver like Lewis Hamilton brings so much relevancy and it resonates with a lot of folks here in America. They're just going to happen to come across him on social media, whether they're on his page, the Formula One page, Mercedes, if they're watching a Bose commercial, um, if they're looking at their favorite celebrity's Instagram story, they're a good chance they're going to see Lewis Hamilton. Um, I love that he's been winning four out of the last five. Um, you've seen over history, it's it's always kind of been one or two drivers going back and forth over the course of five or six years. So it's interesting to see that trend. I think it was Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost earlier on. Michael Schumacher, Michael Schumacher won uh, a lot in the early 2000s. And then uh, I think it was Sebastian Vettel with Red Bull was winning. I think he won five in a row. And then he made the switch to Ferrari. So it's interesting to see how it kind of ebbs and flows. It's not just the drivers, it's also the, the teams, the manufacturers behind it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's great. And I think you know that there's a lot of regulations that are going to come into play here soon that I think might level the playing field a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll get some more money for some of the other teams and bring the Williams back into relevancy. But we'll see. I like Lewis Hamilton. I like where Mercedes is going. And I like seeing some of the other teams really close the gap towards them too. All right, Logan, what about you? You're a big Verstappen fan, who I just found out is the youngest driver to ever uh, compete in Formula One. Uh, in 2015, he was just 17 years old when he raced in his first Grand Prix. That's pretty, that's pretty legit. But what do you think? What, is, is it better to have a Lewis Hamilton winning four out of every five years, or would you like to see Verstappen step in there or uh, somebody else and maybe claim a couple of these crowns? Well, of course, I'd like to see Verstappen maybe you know step in there and win one, but... Uh, you know, I'm going to make the decision unanimous here and say that I, I do think that it is a good thing for the sport. And the closest parallel that I can make here is, you know, look what Tiger Woods has done for the game of golf. Um, you know, watching him throughout the years and, and growing up watching Tiger, uh, you know, any fan of golf, whether or not you're a fan of Tiger Woods, uh, you know that he makes the game of golf more exciting. Uh, more people are willing to watch. Um more people are tuning in on Sunday wearing, you know, when he's wearing that tiger red, uh, he, he just makes the, the sport more exciting. And, you know, in, in case of, of Lewis Hamilton, whether or not you're, you're rooting for him or you're not, uh, you know, people are tuning in for the fans that want him to win. You're getting those people. And for the people that want to see the underdog, like for stop and come in and, and possibly take, uh, you know, take the crown. Uh, I, I have to believe that it is, uh, it's, it's a good thing, thing for the sport. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I do hope that Verstappen will end up winning one at some point. But, uh, yeah, I really do think that having a dominant figure at, at what it is they do in an individual sport like F1, uh, I, I do think it is good for the for the for the sport. 
So, Tim, is parody overrated then? It's something that's talked about in American sports all the time. They try to make rules. The, the entire idea of a draft is meant to try to level the playing field. Worst team one year gets the top draft pick the next year. All to try to like increase parity. There's salary caps and all of this stuff to try to make sure that the playing field is always level for teams. But does that really matter when it comes to the popularity then? If, if what we're talking about here, you know, if the Patriots win every year but the NFL is as popular as it's ever been... What's the point of parity? Why do we why do we keep worrying about this in sports in general then? I think that is a very, very good question. And I think that's one that could go very deep on both sides. Um, you know, I think dynasties are great for the sport because then you've built a loyal fan base and you build a, a base that roots against them. Um, you know, a, a girl that, that we work with here, she said the other day, I don't follow football at all. I don't pay attention to football. But when it's around Super Bowl time, I say, all right, who are the Patriots playing? And, you know, that that causes even somebody who doesn't watch the sport tune in. So, um, you know, I think it is overrated. I, I think I think any sort of dynasty is good for a sport because it causes two sides, uh, you know, just like you think there are two sides in, in you know, political battles. So, um, yeah, that, that's a really good question. Flugie, you're a big uh, English Premier League fan, Arsenal in particular. Uh, but you could make the argument there's just absolutely no parity whatsoever in the Premier League, just in that there are six teams that are pretty dominant and the rest of the league is just kind of battling it out to finish 7th through 20th. Um, so maybe the most popular soccer league in the world has little to no parity. Is it an overrated idea? And should we just kind of ignore it from here on out? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see. You know, right now it's it's a two-horse race in the Premier League with Liverpool and Man City. And then you've got the other four. So uh, just within the top six, it used to just be called the big four, the top four. And now it's grown to six and it's kind of just the top two and then kind of the rest at the top. And yeah, I think when you see Formula One, you, you see teams rising to the top, teams dropping a little bit. And I think you've seen a lot of a lot of teams now closing the gap in the middle and they're putting pressure on the top. Ferrari is no longer you know, the dominant one. Everyone looks to them uh, just based on history, but you've seen other teams uh, put the pressure on as well. So, Logan, as a new fan of the sport, does it does having a dominant figure like a Lewis Hamilton help give you a framework to understand maybe a new league, a new sport, a new structure and that sort of thing? So you come in and you know, okay, everyone's gunning for this guy. Does it just give you a good framework and I guess way of thinking about the game that, that allows you then to kind of understand everything that revolves around it? Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, looking at when you see the standings, it's obviously Mercedes at the top, closely followed by Ferrari. And then you've got a couple teams after that, Red Bull, McLaren, Renault. Uh, but, you know, with when you have a team as successful as uh, Mercedes, it's, it's sort of like uh, everybody against them with, you know, it's obviously everyone's competing against each other, but really people are gunning for Mercedes. And so, I think it, it does provide a little bit of perspective as you're coming in with a fresh new set of eyes. It's like, okay, I'm looking at everybody competing, but really people are sort of doing whatever they can to, to you know, take over that number one overall spot, which is, you know, held by Mercedes. So people are doing whatever they can to emulate and, and follow that model as, you know, they've they've been winning for quite some time consecutively. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could argue against you guys, but I really can't think of a good argument for why dynasties aren't. <laughs> 
aren't good for sports. I mean, you look around, you, yes. it, do, it doesn't matter. You see kids wearing Steph Curry jerseys. 100%. Uh, you see people wearing Tom Brady jerseys, regardless of whether or not they've ever stepped foot in Foxborough, Massachusetts. So You see people who know nothing about college football but can talk about Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and yeah. talk about those two teams. Yeah, people celebrated Tiger Woods winning the Masters last month. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a big cultural event, not just sports. It kind of transcended things because people know who Tiger Woods is because he was so dominant for a 15-year period of his career. So uh, I can't come up with a, with a good reason for why dynasties aren't important and why they aren't good. Uh, it's certainly just interesting to talk about Lewis Hamilton and how he's been so dominant. We are uh, kind of growing a, a bed of content, I suppose, around Formula One as well. So Max Matral, the insight manager for Formula One, uh, joined us for a podcast not too long ago. Uh, also, Antoine Magnon, the head of partnerships at Renault Racing, uh, joined us as well. So if you haven't listened to either of those podcasts, go listen to those, uh, in addition to watching the excellent Netflix documentary, because it's important as well. Um, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. It's a pleasure. Loved it. Thanks, man. Hello, Lewis Hamilton. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. We appreciate you all listening very much. As always, you can find more content just like this. In fact, we have other Formula One content on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment vertical on our website. The easiest way to find it is go to marketscale.com. Click on Industries at the top of the page and scroll down to Sports and Entertainment. Click on that and you'll be able to find more videos, podcasts, written content all there for you to consume and uh, and to enjoy. So there's interviews with college athletic directors. There's more Formula One content. There is a podcast where we dive in and ask the question, what does spring training do for the local economy in some of these cities in Arizona? So a lot of fun stuff to dive in and to to explore there on the sports and entertainment page. We'll be back soon with another episode of the show. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.